and welcome back to another episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast, where today I can't speak. Uh, if you guys are wondering why I sound a little harsh today, uh, I had a job doing some voiceover work and uh, the talent didn't show up, so my voice was used specifically for all the reads, and that means several days at eight hours of reading a day. I do not have the stamina for that, as you can probably tell with my less-than-exuberant voice. But Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Greetings, Earthlings. This is a planetic planet. See, I can't talk. <laughs> You're all just shows. Planet 5D. That's where I'm from, in case nobody knows where I'm from. My own planet. Uh, it's been two weeks. Two, three weeks, I guess, if you count the fact that we missed two Fridays, so... Holidays happened, uh, colonoscopy happened, lots of great family time happened, and celebrations galore, and now everybody's ready to get back to work, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, January is definitely the most productive month of the year. No, not really. Uh, Well, that's because everybody has all their New Year's resolutions, and they're just going to go gung-ho, and they're going to do everything right, and then... Man, I've seen too many people with Fitbits at the office like, I'm counting my steps now. This is going to be the year where I finally (laughs) lose weight. I'm going to do it. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, we'll see in the future if that actually happens. Do you think anybody actually... I read somewhere. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be one of these shows too. (laughs) All right. You're going to tell me about how many people actually complete their New Year's resolutions. I read recently, yes, thank you, uh, that the average New Year's resolution lasts eight days. So I don't really have one. I don't, yeah. (laughs) I am constantly improving myself. All right. Well, I think that's enough for pre show banter. We got a lot of news (laughs) to talk about. Uh, CES has hit the the fan, so to speak. (laughs) And uh, I think it's time to get into the news. the news first up is something that caught me quite off guard and this is kind of made me happy and blown my mind a little bit at the same time you know in a day where we have all of these sort of fancy digital cameras kodak and i am pronouncing kodak incorrectly yet again for those of you who want to uh shout and raise your fist about it but kodak all right time out there's another way to say kodak Apparently, um, you know, I lived next to the Kodak factory for a number of years. In fact, the only time I've ever shot on film, and this is dating me a little bit, is because I was able to go over to the Kodak factory and get leftover stock out of uh, old bins. So they would they would send out rolls and whatever was left after that, they would cut off and just leave in the, the tube. And you could get those like little lengths of film for really, really cheap, and as long as you didn't mind feeding them through the camera every so often, which meant maybe a minute and a half worth of footage at a time, you could film on film for really cheap. And I always thought it was pronounced Kodak, but a number of people have corrected me in the last couple episodes for saying Kodak. So uh, I don't know what the pronunciation is. Uh, maybe a pronunciation sheet would be in order. Mitch, have you huh. ever heard any other pronunciation of Kodak? No. I, I have never heard another pronunci- pronunciation unless they're from Canada or something, but I don't know. I don't know. Kodak, eh? Kodak, eh? Take off. 
All right. Anyway, back to the news here. The Kodak uh, company that we haven't heard from in quite some time is releasing a new 8mm film camera. Uh, This does sport some very interesting features, including a video screen so you can kind of see what's going on. It's got audio inputs. It comes in multiple colors, and they've kind of made it streamlined for processing your film. Not only do you buy the film, but you buy the processing and the digital representation of your film in one shot. So you buy a cartridge. A cartridge will get you about three minutes of video recording time. You send it in with a free postage envelope. You get it developed. They send you back your developed film, plus they send you a digital link, and that's all included in the $50 to $60 price range of this camera it's kind of retro mitch did you ever shoot on any eight millimeter uh as a matter of fact i did when i was in high school we did a little short video for our filmmaking class which was rather advanced in my high school (laughs) but um that's kind of expensive isn't it 700 and yeah well 750 bucks will get you the camera and then 50 dollars for three minutes i don't know a film develop have you ever tried to develop a 16 millimeter film? I mean, yeah. just no, buying I... the stock, if you bought a full roll, uh, you're, you were talking, and this was years ago, it was like $4,000 or $5,000 to shoot like a 30 minute short. And then developing that stock was going to double your price roughly. Wow. So, I mean, you, you could easily hit 15,000 $15, just in a media, uh, 50 bucks for three minutes. I mean, it's a novelty. Now, I want to know what the heck they're doing with audio on this, because uh, if I remember correctly, you had to record audio separately on right. the old 8mm uh, cameras. Now, this has a 3.5mm input as well as a mic built into the handle. It's also got an SD card slot. Not sure what's going on with that. Maybe some sort of capture. And then, you know, 8mm in the time where we're jumping up and down about uh, 4K and 1080p. Uh, that's basically moving back to standard def, isn't it? Um, probably. I had never, I've never looked up the resolution on that. But um, one of the articles that I read said that they were actually pricing the camera closer to 400, they hoped. But even so, you're, you're talking about spending a lot of money on processing for the video. I'm sorry, film. Oh, well, they're they're supposed to be releasing two models of this camera. Uh, The first one to hit in 2016 will be the more expensive $750 model. And then they're going to pare down some of the features. And I think you can see that here in the product images. The skinnier unit right here that is sort of missing a few things and pared down a little bit will likely be the cheaper unit. And this uh, sort of more robust-looking square-ish unit will be the more <laughs> expensive model. So between those two, I don't know. Would you hand something like this over to your kids? Do you think uh, you think this will really catch on? Is this the next hipster move to grab uh, a eight millimeter camera and start filming? I don't know life events. Um, that that would never be something that I did at fifty dollars a pop for three minutes. No, uh, I. I mean, my kids would, a, a child doesn't understand the, the concept of time really well. And that three minutes would be gone in a flash and for 50 bucks a pop, no way. <laughs> I, I'll hand them my, uh, I mean, we used to hand them a video camera all the time. But, you know, the video cameras 12 years ago, 15 years ago, were recording two hours on a cassette and the cassettes would cost you 
five, 10 bucks. And you could always but, record over the top of them after you were done. Right, right, exactly. So, uh, no, I guess I'm too cheap, but I don't suspect many parents are going to over 50 bucks a pop for three minutes. There are still a few questions on this camera. Uh, no word yet on the name other than Kodak Super 8 camera. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, also note that uh, the battery is built into the pistol grip. This thing has a C-mount lens that comes with it. I believe it's a 6 millimeter, as well as a zoom option. And if you're into that sort of thing, there are a ton of old C-mount lenses laying around that you can get your hands on. Go raid your grandpa's uh, closet and see if you can gather up some of his old eight millimeter lenses. I'm excited about this. I'm not going to buy one, but I would love to play with film. Once again, it's been probably 15 years or better. Now moving on down the line to hold on, hold on, oh. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. No problem. I, it's, it's funny because I was sitting here thinking, well, what else can I ask DJ about this? I know I'll ask him what the sensor size is. <laughs> <laughs> this little faux pas there. I did find it very interesting that in the press release that Kodak put out, they got J.J. Abrams and several other of the big director kind of guys talking about how they how excited they were to see film in the hands of young people again. Um, you know, so that gets back to the old debate about whether you shoot on film or digital, but. I think the pricing of this is going to keep most people out of. I mean, heck, I mean, you, you and I talked about buying a cheap camera, a Canon or Sony or whatever for three to five hundred bucks and shooting video all day long. How 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 much is is a young person going to pick up and grab one of these and sh and make their next movie at fifty bucks for three minutes? No, I mean, no offense, it's just it's just not going to happen. I don't know if you'd make a feature length with those kind of prices, well, but, no, uh, but it would be really fun to sort of very strategically plan out a short film of two to three minutes in length and maybe go through, you know, if your shooting ratio is five to one, that doesn't sound completely unreasonable with good planning. Uh, that means you would spend what, five times 50, so 250 bucks. And you would have something that's sort of unique, cool, interesting. The only problem yeah. is, is if everybody has access to this and everybody's shooting eight millimeter film again, uh, that might not be as niche as it otherwise could be. Uh, the other issue I kind of see with this sort of thing is actually film development because processing for film is a huge part of what the look ends up giving you when you get your film back. And if they're just, you know, lumping it in with the processing of, uh, you know, the, the film, they, they charge you 50 bucks and that's the processing and everything. Is it going to be top notch or what kind of digital reproduction are you going to get back as well to download You know, what are you going to do with the film when it comes back? Are, are you going to scan it? I mean, I don't know. Those things are all sort of up in the air questions. If you get negatives, oh, you probably do a little bit more work with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, obviously, if the digital comes back to you and it's 1080 or something, then that might be workable. Uh, it, the other part of that whole thing is that we're we've gotten very used to immediacy, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're shipping this stuff off and you're going to get it back in how long? A uh, week? Yeah, or more. 
or more. Right. So I don't know. There's just issues for that. Obviously, people, some people will love it and other people just will go, not for me. Now, one thing I would like to to throw out there, and this may be what they're doing, uh, they do have a screen on this uh, unit so you can actually watch what you're filming, which means that there is some sort of digital side to this camera going on. And I don't know exactly how that's set up, but you know, so what's the sensor size on that? <laughs> no idea. No idea. But the thing is, um, there is an SD card slot on this guy. Maybe you right. can capture some sort of proxy file to work with immediately uh, through the C-mount lens. And then when you get your digital rushes back, or, you know, I guess it's not really digital, yeah. you get your film stock back, you can uh, then, you know, match up your edits or what have you. Uh, that would be an interesting sort of um, take on the whole film process. I, I don't know who's going to use this or what, but it's it's cool. Like I kind of wanted to go buy a eight millimeter camera on eBay as soon as I saw that new stock would be coming out yet again. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'll let you move on now. All right, rolling on to uh, the camera of the day, the Nikon D five and well, cameras, I should say, of the day, the D5 and the D500. Now, we talked a little bit about this last episode with Devin, but the camera had just been announced while we were actually doing that show. So I wanted to bring this up with you, Mitch, kind of go over the specs, take a look at this camera, and see what it's all about. The D5 is basically Nikon's I want to say Nikon's answer to the Canon 1DC, which was released in 2012, I believe. Uh, it's capable of shooting 4K video. It is a full-frame 20-megapixel sensor camera, and it'll be priced at roughly $6,500, uh, depending on whether you get the XQD flavor or the CF flavor of this body. Now, both of us have watched videos of this camera in action and 4K footage in general from my home state of Nebraska. Mitch, what do you think about this camera first? And then let's dive into the video footage that we looked at. Well, I I still think that Nikon is so focused, <laughs> bad pun, wah, on, wah, wah. Da, 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 uh, on photography that the video side is is lacking in some some arenas uh watching the footage the especially the one that we're going to talk about with the uh the nebraska footage because uh, i think there's a couple of others out there now but um this is the one that was really put out and promoted by by nikon i think it looks really cinematic very 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 different than the gh4 look and I believe that has to do with the sensor, of course. Um, that full-frame look is definitely something that's noticeable going from the yeah. GH4. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the GH4 has always looked kind of video-esque, videotape-ish, as, as we used to talk about in the olden days. Uh, very crisp, very, very vibrant. And this just has more of a cinema feel to it based on the one video that we've looked at. So I'm impressed on that regards. The thing that I'm not impressed about, but at the same time, we've just talked about the Kodak giving you a whopping three minutes of uh, film 
for <laughs> 50 bucks, uh, the D5 will shoot 4K for three minutes. It doesn't do 30 minutes like everything else on the planet. Haven't figured out why. I suspect sensor overheating um, and possibly CPU intensive uh, scaling because this is working off a 20 megapixel sensor. Uh, 4K is what? I think roughly 8 megapixels. Does that sound sound about right to you, Mitch? Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, my, let's, my numbers are off. Let's go with that one uh, for now because uh, that's off the top of the noggin. So if you're scaling that much, you're going to have to do some you know, pixel binning and some of the other things that need to happen in order to go from a full-frame sensor down to a 4K image. Uh, Nikon has kind of shied away from this area up until now, whereas even Canon with the 1DC has sort of hit that mark quite some time ago. Uh, right. I'm wondering if it's a, a processing issue, if they're not really they're not really ready for it per se. Now, I did see some information saying that there was a crop option for the Nikon D5 for 4K shooting. I don't know if that was just a Twitter uh, floating about or if it's actually uh, something that's available there. And I wonder if you could bypass some of the limits in that case. And I don't know also if that's a hard limit or not. Timeout. Sorry. Yes. It, the three minutes, I believe, is a hard time limit. Is it a hard? It's but, not just a overheating sensor warning? I think it's a hard time limit if they've actually talked about it in the press. Um, however, the, the, uh, the, 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 and, I, and I apologize because I was going to look this up and I didn't, but the 4K is using that crop feature. It's not a full frame 4K. So... Um, and, and you can use, so there's the, go ahead. You want to say something? Okay. So the crop is correct. That's on the D 500. And because these numbers are so close together, I get them mixed up too. I wish they would have gone with the D 400, which would have made sense since they had the D 300 <laughs> previously. Uh, right. but from what I understand, the D 500 is using the crop mode, which is pixel for pixel recording a 4k. The D five is using the full sensor and scaling. And that may account for the fact that the D500 can record 30 minutes of 4K video and the D5 cannot. Right. That would be my guess. Now, I'm looking at specs here, and I'll show you guys. This is where some of the confusion uh, comes from. When new cameras are released, we try to be as accurate as possible. But here is B&H's uh, representation of the D500. And as you can see, I have highlighted here, it says that it's three minutes of, of 4K recording. Now here is Nikon's D500 representation. And it does tell us that the D500 is capable of recording 29.59 minutes. Of course, the uh, European standard smacks us in the face yet again for taxes. Um, so mm -hmm. That's what I think is going on, is that the D5 is just heating up because of the processing needed to scale the image down, while the D500, since it's doing pixel-for-pixel pixel readout from the sensor, does not generate nearly as much heat for recording. Now, we'll find out when these cameras actually get into people's hands. Right now, we only have demo videos and, uh, you know, the the crystal clear, beautiful shots that you see from product images. Uh, let's talk about that, though, Mitch. The Nebraska footage, 
Yeah. You've watched this. I've watched this. You know more about time lapse than me. And I noticed in the show notes that you wrote fake with an exclamation mark here. Tell me about that. <laughs> uh, why, if, if for those people who are watching, why don't you pull up the show notes so they can see the image that I, little screen grab I have. Now there's, there's one section at four minutes and four seconds where there is a time lapse. So time lapse is shot with stills. Now, the Nikons have the option of creating a video directly from the time lapse. But so here is a section um, of the moon in this nighttime time lapse. And there are half a dozen things wrong with this. I didn't know you could do the video. It's kind of blocky coming across. But so if you watch the moon in this section, there's there's half a dozen things wrong with this. First, the moon is a full disk. Even in crescent moon, which is what is being shown here, there is a dark side to the moon. It's, well, it's not the backside, but the dark. Anyway, the, so, so what's happening is the stars appear to be in front of the moon because they are appearing in the dark area of the disk. And therefore, we know that the moon has been overlaid on this because it's impossible for the stars to be in front of the moon. And so we know this section has been tweaked. Now, whether, well, there's another part. I mean, technically everybody who shot the moon at night and tried to get stars realizes that you can't expose for both, right? The moon is way too bright to capture the stars. So in order to have the moon in here, they've, they've overlaid it. They've recorded it twice with a D5 or something. Hmm. My suspicion is that they have uh, they've tweaked it because even if you shot it with a second camera, there still would be the disk view. In my book, it would be a circle. When, when objects go behind the dark part of the moon, it's called an occultation. When I was in high school, I was really big on astronomy, which is part of why I do the Planet Mitch thing. Okay. Occultation, is that? Occultation. Okay. If you go type in occultation, O-C-C-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N, in Google, you'll see this astronomy term, and it has to do with stars, well, well, with an object obscuring the view of something else. And in astronomy, it happens to be things like when the moon happens to pass between the Earth and, say, Mars. And on the dark side, you'll, I mean, you'll see Mars... And then suddenly the, the disk of the moon will blink out. The, the Mars will disappear. And it's really fascinating to watch real time. But I know because, you know, again, the, the, the moon is a sphere. And therefore, even though one side of it is lit, the rest of it is dark. And, and so stars would not appear behind the dark section. That, they disappear. It just happens. <laughs> If you look that up, because there's there's pictures there on Wikipedia or somewhere yeah, of, I, of occultation, and, and I can uh, show you guys that here. Let me uh, let me share this screen here while we're talking about astrology. Not oh man, it, astronomy. Not as, astronomy, not astrology. Always, Perfect. every time. So you see several of those images, like the the one right there next to the. Well, there's one right there. So. But the, I mean, there's more of the moon lit there, but you see the fact that their dark side, the things disappear on the dark side, like that one. So when in that section, 
of the video, um, anyway, that's there's a problem there. The, somebody has has tweaked that. There's several different things wrong with it, the, especially the fact that the moon and the stars are moving at a different rate, which doesn't uh, make sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And lastly, the stars are blurred. They're they're if you look at them, they have a a, a trail to them. They're long. And if that if they were both taken at the same time, the moon would be blurred, right? Yeah, that's true. So, so there's all sorts of problems with this one, three or four minute segment. I'm not saying the rest of the video is faked. We're going to talk about the, the oral, uh, the the Northern Lights section, but this, there's something wrong with. It. I'm not saying it wasn't shot with the D5, but they've tweaked it. Not saying I'm not saying Nikon's faked the whole thing, but no. it is it is bothering me that they put that out. This is the other issue, and I'm trying to find it here in the video. It's it's right after that. It's at four minutes and twelve seconds. Oh man, Mitch, you're good. So well, I've looked at this for the last. They've, like, I'm from Nebraska, guys. Uh, you probably already have heard that before, and uh, the Aurora Borealis that they show off. In uh, several of these shots, is kind of it's this it's one right here. Right here. Um, now, Mitch and I were discussing this before the show. There Let is it go a little farther. All right, I will play this for the uh, audio listeners. We are presenting the Aurora Borealis here. You can see Look how bright that is right there. Beautiful northern lights in Nebraska. And I can tell you that uh, Aurora Borealis occasion very, very occasionally happen in Nebraska. It's rare. Uh, they don't last for very long at all. And it's maybe a once every several years event. Uh, looking at this right here, you can see beautiful glowing lights, the stuff that you would expect from something shot in Alaska. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I'm saying that this gentleman would probably have had to have this camera for over a year in order to have gotten this particular shot, probably even longer than that. And right now, if you look, uh, the tractor that's in front of this is, is holding a hay bale, at which places this uh, in the hay harvest season, and that's winter, uh, or excuse me, winter wheat. So they're probably grabbing this stuff, you know, towards the beginning of the like June-ish maybe I mean you can't really put an exact finger on it because you can harvest uh multiple times uh, especially if it's just hay I can't tell for sure what's going on there but if they're getting hay you know there's a certain time for it and that would put you in the summer um it's it's just a very strange it's a strange shot uh don't know uh why they would have thrown that in there and it's great that you you say oh look at how great nebraska is because you know i like the state i'm from there but uh to throw aurora borealis in is like look at how great nebraska is because we have the aurora borealis that is not a thing that is not a thing and when mitch brought up this other stuff i was like yeah you know that you're right (laughs) what is going on here yeah yeah um the, I mean, it's a very beautiful video. I mean, I'm not knocking the the look. Uh, the video is very pretty. There's a lot of really good content in there. He obviously shot for a long time with this camera. It's not like 
one of the things where you and I grab the camera and go shoot for a couple of days. There is a lot of content in there with a lot of different people, a lot of different setups. So it was produced over a long period of time. But these two scenes just bother the heck out of me. Now, on the positive side, it is nice that Nikon is bringing 4K to a very feature-rich camera. This camera has a capability of shooting on XQD. I believe I'm getting those letters in the right order, Uh, which (laughs) means that on top of being able to handle uh, 4K footage, it can also shoot up to 200 raw images in burst mode at, I believe, uh, 11 or 12 frames per second. So this is an animal as far as a pro end camera goes a really nice offering. In fact, I don't want to bash on this, but for right. filmmakers, do you think it's practical that uh, you're only able to shoot three minutes? Well, let's talk about what we've said so far in this, in this uh, episode of the DSLR film noob podcast. <laughs> At the beginning, do you remember you talked about grabbing film from the Kodak warehouse that was right next to you and you said well i could shoot for like a minute and a half yes and it was very (laughs) heavily planned (laughs) uh and then we talked about the the new eight millimeter camera which shoots three minutes at a time so there's a lot of people that would would say i don't need more than three minutes right most of the time you're probably not shooting more than three minutes there are situations like my daughter took my 5d mark ii three the other day and was doing a, a helping a friend a college friend shoot a music video that he's doing so they would let the camera run while they were working on different shots and and you know so that kind of thing would not be possible with this if you were going to shoot a long sequence you're not going to do it with this maybe that's okay it, like you said, it's a brilliant camera. It does a lot of fantastic photography kinds of stuff. The time-lapse features are awesome. I would love to be able to have this camera to do some some great photography and stuff. For video, eh, I still probably would pull out a 1DC if I had the opportunity. Not that I can afford that either. But, but wait, it's cheap now, isn't it? Uh, the one DC you can now find used for, for a segue into the five thousand dollar range, uh, which is very affordable. Although I did see as soon as Nikon announced this camera, most of the one DC stock disappeared on eBay. So all those used one DCs that have been sitting there for quite some time have sort of dried up. Now I will say, as far as video is concerned, the one DC is inferior in the format. Uh, the one DC records in motion JPEG, which is very frustrating format to work with while they're using H.264 in the uh, Nikon uh, D5. The only issue I have is I haven't seen anything on the uh, data rate for video recording at 4K. So, uh, you know, if it's a very highly compressed Kodak, it could be fairly ugly. Looking at the sample footage, it looks really nice, but that's YouTube. Hard to tell for sure how good that is. Now... I don't know which one to buy, and if you have $6,000 sitting in your pocket right now, you probably, I don't know, I guess it depends on what camp you're in. I will say Nikon has always had a really great selection of beautiful lenses, Yep. and I am really happy to see that they're coming out with a body like this that, you know, it's in the pro level, but it's affordable enough that if you really wanted to have one, it's obtainable, it's 
really nice specs, really good looking camera. And I think this is good for Nikon in general. And because they're doing this, they're passing on some of the features, the pro features to the lower models. And that brings me to the D500. Now the D500 is, it's odd. And I mentioned this earlier that Nikon had the D300 and they immediately jumped to the 500. And that's a strange jump. Word 400 go. I don't know. It's gone. But I, I believe they want to kind of keep these in line with each other. Now, this is a $2,000 camera. Sort of sits in that competition of the 7D Mark II from Canon. Uh, we're looking at a 20 megapixel sensor, uh, cropped 4K shooting capabilities, uh, 29 minutes of recording. Again, the European limit comes into standard uh, there. Now, this camera doesn't have all of the features that its bigger brother has, but at a $2,000 price tag, what do you think? 4K shooting, even if it's cropped, does that make this a little bit more uh, of a valuable tool than the uh, 7D Mark II? I found it very interesting, DJ, because when we were putting out the posts, when they first put these out, uh, I found it fascinating that Nikon had video after video after video about the D5, and including the Nebraska one, which was originally only uploaded in 720, which frustrated me, but it's available now in 4K. Just, I don't know what took them so long to get that up there. But anyway, um, I couldn't find any samples on day one of video from the D500. I couldn't find any of the marketing fancy, here's how the camera works videos. They may be there now. I haven't looked, but I, it was just fascinating that it was so easy to find D5 stuff. Uh, obviously, it's their flagship camera right now. They want to promote that heavily. But if you're putting out a new camera, wouldn't you also put out a video on the D500? Anyway, uh, it's very appealing. It has, does have a flippy-dippy screen uh, because I like that. It, both of them also have a touch screen, which is... I commented on in the Planet 5D posts, um, Canon has always told me that professionals do not want a touch screen, and yet the Nikon D5 has one. So we'll see what happens when the next round of cameras come from Canon, but that I, was a little big. I did find it interesting that they used the, uh, the same style of flip-out screen as you see on Sony cameras. Right. Uh, not my favorite type of right. flip-out screen. But it is nice that you do have a little bit of motion. Now, uh, for those of you watching, uh, EOSHD.com has a pretty good image up of what the crop factor looks like on a D500. Uh, this is just um, an illustration, not an actual footage from the camera. But uh, you can see the actual sensor size as well as what the 4K crop will look like from an image. So you are punching in quite a bit on the resolution of that particular sensor. And I'm with you, Mitch. I didn't see any test footage of the 500 at all. In fact, when all the press releases hit the ground running, uh, it was D5 everywhere. And the D500 right. sort of just kind of crawled in as a, a very far off second place to that flagship camera. And it's weird because, you know, this camera packs a lot of specs as well. Uh, high frame rate capabilities, lots of uh, of good features, and they're not going crazy with the megapixel size sensor on this guy. I, I mean, it looks nice, but does Nikon just want to go to the very high end level, or they don't care about their their mid range 
people? I mean, I don't really know what's go what the heck is going on with that. I I apologize to Nikon because I like the people that I've met at Nikon, but I'm I'm constantly confused by their tactics. Um, I don't understand. And I'm I'm looking on YouTube right now for D five hundred stuff, and there there there's one Nikon D five hundred promo that I see there listed now, which wasn't there before. Um, and I'm not. Here's one from Nikon Europe, finally. But it just frustrates me that they they don't seem to grasp the video side of it as well as the other brands. And I, it just frustrates me. I, I wonder what's going on with them. Now, I will say in Nikon's defense, there were a lot of uh, arguments uh, in various places with me about uh, the D800 and 810 being superior offerings to the 5D Mark III. And if you are looking for megapixels, uh, those did have all of the pixels. So in those cases, you know, uh, Nikon was still kind of pushing the envelope. Now with the uh, 5D, what is it? Is it the 5DS? I think it's the 5DS. Uh, yes. All these names get mixed up in my head early in the morning. Yes. The uh, Light at night too. Uh, megapixels have kind of evened out a little bit and you know sony's right. gotten into the same game with the a7r so with all of those i mean it used to be megapixels from one group was kind of what stood out now everybody's right. got something like that right i was going to transition with some other thing but i lost it so i'm just going to move on to panasonic another camera company <laughs> and panasonic has issued some kind of interesting cameras, kind of weird cameras. Uh, I do love my LX100. I use it all the time. And it looks like they've gone into the travel uh, category yet again with the ZS100 and the ZS60. This is a link to the Planet 5D article. And basically, both of these cameras are capable of shooting 5K, uh, 5K, 4K, 4K footage, man. I'm just falling off the wagon here. I saw five axes. They have five axis optical image stabilization. Uh, both of these are super zooms, 25 to 250 on the L or ZS 100 and 24 to 720 millimeters equivalent on the ZS 60. Now, Mitch, I got this from you. What do you know about these two cameras? Are they anything that would interest you? Well, this is an article from Karen, uh, my good friend from down in Australia. Uh, she's, she's really liking the Panasonic stuff. Uh, she's really a, adapted to the GH4 and, and the GX8. Uh, so she really loves this. I want to ask you, because my brain doesn't remember when I was looking at the specs early this morning, I don't remember Panasonic having the 5X stabilization before. Is this new to them or I, am I missing something? No, it's not. It's available in the LX100, which is uh, an earlier model right. that was capable of shooting 4K. And both of these, as far as I know, have 5-axis image stabilization. Uh, it's built into the super zoom. And once you get it into the 250 millimeter range, you got to have something. And right. luckily, they're not doing digital. They're doing uh, optical image stabilization. So... I don't know for sure if it's moving the sensor itself or if they're using uh, a combination of, uh, you know, spinning, um, uh, rotating. Uh, well, dang it. What do you call it when it spins fast and it stops something from vibrating? It's a gyroscopic action. 
Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. In some of the new five axis systems that they're using on like the, the GX eight uh, Panasonic is using a combination of spinning system, which is in the lens itself. And then uh, three axis of movement on the sensor. So that's possibly what they're doing in these. It isn't new to Panasonic though. Okay, good. I, I cause my brain just, you know, like you said, we've, we've got so many cameras coming at us these days. Trying to remember who's doing what. I, I apologize. My brain just cannot grasp all of it. And I can imagine for the normal consumer, it's really tough. These are interesting. I do like super zooms uh, in theory. And, you know, I'm a little disappointed that this isn't another uh, LX100 with a micro four third sensor. Instead, they're going to a one inch and a one-half-ish inch sensor on the ZS100 and ZS60, respectively. Uh, guess these are supposed to compete sort of with the uh, Sony RX series. Uh, no word yet on pricing. Mitch, did you see any pricing on these? Uh, I was just looking that up. The Z1, ZS100 on uh, B&H is 69 uh, $679. I can't talk today either. So that's a little pricier than I was expecting. That is a huge zoom range, though. Uh, well, I, yeah. I will say that my LX100 has kind of become my always-with-me camera. I do love shooting on that body immensely. It's it's really great to take out. It's super tiny, and the 24-70 to 70 range is really nice for walking around, sort of doing street photography and, and things like that. Right. Uh, right. Plus, it's honestly, it's taken the place of my GoPro. Uh, you know, I film with it quite a bit when I'm, I'm like, man, I need a camera over there in the corner on the floor. You know, I grab my LX100 instead of my GoPro because the remote control app is better. Uh, the 4K image is good, and I have actual control over... Uh, options like shutter speed and focal length and all the things that I want out of a camera. Not the, the, uh, the, the GoPro has just not been used lately. And uh -huh. I, I, I'm bringing that up. I, I just want to, to ask you, Mitch, do you think cameras like this are going to replace the use of action cams in less extreme circumstances? It might. How much? Did, how much was the 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 one hundred that you're using? I paid. Uh, I believe I paid four hundred and and some change for the LX one hundred. So and, so you have you have control over it with your iPhone, right? Yes, your, my Android device. I can control all the features, stream video from it, and so on. So I'm just I'm skimming through the specs quickly and that. This this new one, the ZS100, has built-in Wi-Fi, but they talk about wirelessly sharing, linking to your smartphone and stuff, but they don't talk about controlling the device at all. If uh, it uses the uh, Panasonic, oh, Panasonic so here, Imaging app. It yes, it's in there. Device can be controlled remotely with the Panasonic Image app. So I just didn't read far enough. Sorry. 
And let's move on to the next one. All right. Yeah, let's uh, Panasonic, new camera. Every every couple of months, we'll get a new Panasonic point-and-shoot. Uh, they're great. All right, so moving on down the line. Actually, I kind of wanted to discuss this a little bit with you, Mitch. Uh, looks like we're falling into another set of format wars. We've got the new standard XQD format, as well as the CFast 2, or as I like to call it, Compact Flash Fast. <laughs> Uh, between the two of these guys <laughs> laughing at my own joke there, uh, it's a little interesting that SanDisk uh, is sticking to the CFast format while Sony and Lexar are going to go forward with the XQD format. Mitch, do you think this is going to be a format war? Are we going to see both of these in cameras? And are you disappointed that we're losing standard SD formats? I don't particularly like SD cards in any way, shape, or form. Uh, personal preference for me, uh, I lose SD cards. And the same will be true with the QXD card because they're the same size. Uh, I have damaged more SD cards than I care to speak about. They're fragile. They break. Uh, compact flash cards are much beefier they're a little bigger they're harder to lose they're sturdier you you can recover them right out of the washing machine i've washed two or three of them i just i just don't care for the smaller form factor and the fragility if you ask me of the plastic cases i like cf cards i i'm torn I shoot on both on a regular basis, and I will agree, if you look at the bottom of this uh, SD card, I've broken these plastic bits off so many times and had to just barely rescue information off of there. On the other hand, my CF cards are very nice and solid, but I have shot myself in the foot once or twice by breaking a pin off in the yeah. card which on the 5D Mark III is a body replacement because you have to uh, pull the entire motherboard off of the camera. It was It's like a grand and some change to do, oh even, like almost the cost of the darn camera to, to take care of. So that was always my complaint with uh, the CF form factor. Now, these do look a little bit more robust, but the XQD does look like a f sort of flimsy SD card. And right. the CFast does look like a nice a solid card. Now, I threw this in there, and we kind of – I think we touched on this uh, several episodes ago. But Western Digital bought out SanDisk recently, and I've got a link to that in the show notes, uh, their press release and so on. Do you think once that transition is complete, uh, they'll just start producing both types of cards? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a clue which direction they're going. What about cameras? Um, <laughs> moving forward, uh, you know, are, do you think we should buy cameras with XQD or do you think we should buy cameras with uh, CF? Or do you think that we should have a combination of the two in every body that comes out from now on? I, I kind of like the fact that my 5D Mark III has both an SD card and a CF card in it. Um, I There are times where I have gone out and planned a shoot and I have specifically used a C, an SD card because I knew I wanted to be able to just shove that into my laptop, which is a MacBook Pro, 
and because it has a card SD card reader in it. And therefore I knew I was going to be wanting to do quick stuff. And so bing, bang, boom, that's the route I went. Other times I will typically just pick the SD, I'm sorry, the CF card because of my previously mentioned afflictions for liking those. Uh, so I like the having the option of both. It tends to make the camera a little beefier, but we I like a big camera anyway. I mean, if you're going to talk about a mirrorless camera where you're wanting small form factor, you're only going to get one card slot, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty standard. I'm holding up right now my uh, 5D Mark III, and I was just checking to see what I shot on last with this, and it is a CF card in the slot there. The uh, uh-huh. I agree. I I don't know if it's if it's actually a legitimate complaint or not, but uh, I feel like mentally I want the CF cards to win because they are nice and solid. <laughs> it, it, I'm with you on that. I I feel like they're better made and they're a little bit more durable. But on the other hand, they've cost me money over the years, so I don't really know. Uh, Both of these guys are the new formats to look for. Expect to spend buku bucks on these. They write and read extremely fast, and they're going to cost you between 100 for the 32 gig models all the way up to three or four hundred dollars for the 128 gig models. So open up your wallets for these formats and think about that before you make the purchase of your next six thousand five hundred dollar camera. Now we've talked about expensive cameras. Let's talk about a cheap camera real quick before we get out of here. Mitch, take a look at this beautiful, weird paper camera. Uh, I've got a link here to Petapixel on this guy, as well as a link to where you can purchase this. This is a basically cardboard retro looking camera. You can see the sensor is hidden right here for $3,229 yen or $28. You can shoot 720, uh, no, not 720p, 720 by 480, which is basically standard definition, and capture uh, SXGA format images. What do you think about this, Mitch? Would you spend $28 for uh, something like this to give to your kids to play with? God, you keep ha- asking me about my kids. They're 19 or they're 20 and 17, so they're not kids anymore. But uh, this might be fun for the kids. It's not very expensive. It's obviously more expensive than a, a Happy Meal, but. Um, I wasn't very impressed with the with the photos. The video looked kind of okay in the demo that we saw there. Uh, typically, I at this point, uh, I don't want something extra to carry. Maybe the kids are okay, but t- I mean, even even today, uh, I would just probably hand them my smartphone because I would have a digital version of stuff and not have to transfer it. And no, I wouldn't buy one. When I saw this, I thought perfect <laughs> gag gift for a photography friend. You know, this would be yeah, yeah. a really cool like, hey, you put it in a really nice box, you wrap it up, give it to him as a Christmas present. You only spent 28 bucks and they're like, oh, wow. And then, you know, obviously, as far as practical use goes, n- not so much. Right. 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 Yeah, you're right. Very good gag gift. It's it's interesting that based on the image that I see that there is this plastic knob for a flash does it actually flash 
I don't know. Um, I've read the, and I, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, I, there's a, a Japanese translation. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what everything is on here. I was able to rescue the specs out of that, but uh, as far as knowing what that is, no idea, Mitch. Uh, maybe an LED. I doubt you could charge up a flash in that small amount of space because you do need uh, capacitors and uh, like a flyback transistor in order to accomplish that. So probably no flash in that skinny of a form factor, but still really cool. Uh, pretty hipstery. I think this has been a hipster episode. Now, last thing on the list here is, and you put this in the show notes and then I kind of elaborated on it is actually the parrot, uh, fixed wing drone. This is basically a plane version of a flying camera. Mitch, tell me more about this guy. I just saw this yesterday. It was, it was a flash in the pan kind of thing that crossed my wire, uh, the video looks pretty impressive. It's one of these, you remember the Lily, the drone that you could throw up in the air and it would just take off? That I threw like $600 at and still haven't gotten? Yes. Yeah, that one. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up that way. But this is this is a fixed wing drone. And I now that I think about it, I'm like, why haven't there been more of these? And of course, you've got several things linked to it in a second. Uh, but it's it's a throw it up in the air and it starts thing and it just flies and you have a remote control you can control it with the fancy controllers that you can control it with your phone so it's just a fascinating uh take um did we talk we talked about the blender right the guy that uh, took his old dji and threw a whole bunch of fruit at it didn't we, didn't oh we yeah, where the that? blades were spinning so fast that it was slicing the yeah. the fruit. Right. Uh, I so was, I saw the video, but I don't think we actually discussed it. You you want to elaborate? <laughs> it was just a funny thing that they sent. Oh, this guy sent to me. If I be me posted it. No, they took the, a broken DJI and they they cobbled it together um, a quadcopter, and they they tweaked it so the blades were running as fast as possible and then they dropped fruit and eggs and stuff and they made it basically into a blender and then at the end of the video they drove over it with a car um which pissed a lot of people off they were like why would you break it it wasn't working in the first place uh but i've always thought to myself that that quadcopters seemed a little bit more fragile because of the fact that you've got four motors and all these things whereas this appeals to me because it's got fixed wings they do come off by the way and it only has one propeller that you one engine that you have to deal with so it feels less breakable to me than a quadcopter i don't know i don't fly any of them uh the problem with this obviously is that the camera is fixed it's not like you can put your own camera or pivot the camera so you've got the issue of only seeing what's recording what's flying directly in front of you and so if you want to look down you have to kind of point the the plane down which means it's it's not going to last very long in that orientation but i just thought it was interesting that there's this new and it's and it's fun right it's got to be fun to fly something like that now, if you're into this sort of thing, uh, flying a fixed-wing plane is much easier than flying a drone. 
they are much easier to learn. Quadcopters are a little more complicated. And if you're into a DIY uh, setup, flighttest.com, uh, which D I believe Dave Knopp uh, helps film some of their videos. He's a really nice guy, by the way. Uh, anyway, uh, their stuff, they've got a nice little demo of getting this foam board and basically making an entire plane from scratch. Uh, this is probably a 40 to $60 investment. And with that, you can build a rather large, very cool plane yourself. And uh, if you don't like the nose position, you could strap your camera to any portion of this you want. Now, keep in mind that these do move a little bit faster in the forward direction than a quadcopter. So if your camera goes spinning off, uh, it could be thrown into a place that you can no longer reach. But uh, really, it is kind of cool, kind of fun. I have a few friends that have built these. That's why I know a little bit about that. Uh, I have not built one myself, and I am not a good pilot. So... <laughs> Well, there's there's all kinds of cool stuff that's coming out at CES, which is going still going on at this moment. So we're Friday that we're recording it. It ends tomorrow. Uh, if if you guys are interested in seeing what's going on at CES, a little plug here, um, you know, for my good buddy Michael Arthas, who I do the videos, uh, the shows at NAB with, is at CES doing live coverage, and they've got lots of cool stuff if you want to go to planet5d.com slash ces you can go see their live coverage which is on 24 hours a day until saturday at 4 p.m pacific daylight a little plug there i've never been to the consumer electronics show is that in vegas too too as well oh, also yeah. yes uh i would i've i've always been tempted to go um people have told me that it's absolutely insane so you've been to NAB. Yes. You know that NAB is in the North Central and South Halls. That is correct. But, uh, and the North Hall is kind of sparse most of the time. Yeah, that's kind of the, the sad, sad hall. Yeah. Uh, CES is not only in the convention center with both the North, South, and, I'm sorry, all three, uh, but they have a huge... Uh, convention center section at the Sands Hotel. Oh, wow. Sands Hotel. And they have three other venues besides that. And they get, I think, 120 to 130,000 people at, at CES. So it's close to 20, 30% more people than what you and I see. And it's and it's fascinating. Um, Michael uh, has been showing the Panasonic booth. Now, you know I've been, you and I've been to NAB, and you know where Panasonic has their little booth up in the top section, right there in the central hall. Yeah. And Canon has theirs in the right below that in the center. Well, in that section where Canon is, Panasonic has the entire width of that section of the what? hall. And they have built a house there so that you can walk in the house and see all these different rooms. I mean, it's a physical house. So there like all the Panasonic electronics in each of the yes. rooms as you walk through? Yes. It's insane. Uh, Michael said that he's heard rumors that, uh, again, not verifiable, but that 
that Panasonic has spent like $50 million on this booth. Wow. And I'm like, because I mean, I mean, they, they've been using uh live view, which they do live streaming and they've had people walking around with cameras and walking through the Panasonic booth. It's just I made mean, I know how big the Canon booth is and the Panasonic booth is about the same size at NAB, but to have that entire width of that central hall plus a house in there is just, it just blows my mind at how much money they're spending on that show. Just amazing. Do they assemble the house in the, in the hall or do they drag it in on a trailer? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Some of those times, you know, if you've ever gone to a show where a convention center where there's a bunch of regular booths and then there's a car in there and you look around and you're, how did they get the car into this building? You know, did they disassemble it? Uh, Did they remove a wall? You know, like, how does this happen in a house is the same way? Like, how do you get a house into a convention center like that without building it? Yeah, I'm sure they probably built it or it was built in sections and brought in. But if you... The the central hall between at the, on the south wall towards the south hall there is a section where the entire door the entire wall comes up so it's it's a massive door so you can get all kinds of stuff in there oh wow uh, they just generally have it closed and you don't you don't think about it because you're walking by to get to the people doors but there's a there's a huge door there so you can bring all sorts of large stuff in that central hall. I was trying to find some pictures really quick online of the house, but uh, they're not coming up right away. So I'll swing over to planet5d.com and check that out. Planet5d.com slash CES. Anyway, All it's right. live. It's interesting, um, fascinating stuff. We'll keep you posted, guys, on everything that comes out of CES. It's always interesting to see. No, you will. No, that you can't keep everybody updated on everything that comes out of CES because there's billions of things that come out. Okay. Well, I mean, I won't keep you up on every <laughs> iPhone cover and battery pack <laughs> that is released in the sad section that is the imports. But uh, I will say <laughs> that we do enjoy you coming every week to listen, to watch, to enjoy the show. Thanks, Mitch, as always, for coming out. And Mitch, where can people find you? One last plug. Dot com. And of course, guys, you can find this podcast anywhere podcasts are distributed, including iTunes, SoundCloud, and so on. You can find me on Twitter at DSLR Film Noob. And of course, leave comments in the YouTube section, write, review, do all those things because they help the rankings of the show. We will see you next time. And thanks again for stopping in for an episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>